Have you ever wondered what it means for a city to have a mayor as opposed to a city manager? Do you know what the purpose of a commission is and how to serve on one? What about the difference between an ordinance, resolution, or a proclamation? The answer to these questions and more are coming right up. I'm your host, Mayor Robert Simpson, and this is My Meridian City 101, your guide to local government. So let's just dive right in and get started. Today I'm here with Bill Neri, the city attorney for the city of Meridian. Bill has, has a long history of being involved in the city of Meridian. So Bill, why don't we just jump right in right there? Sure. How long have you been involved with the city of Meridian and in what capacities? Well, I've had a variety of different roles with the city over the years. I actually started my career here in 1985, and our firm represented the city as both the civil attorneys and, and the prosecution uh, back then. The city was 9,000 people. The police department had seven people in it. It was a much smaller community than we have today. But I was the prosecutor for about three and a half years, prosecuting criminal cases for the city, all the misdemeanors, DUIs and the like. I've handled all of those with the police department, worked directly with them. I went to court every day to um, handle that for the city. I then left, went to another position, and then I got reinvolved with the city back in 2000. Um, I was interested in planning and zoning. I was interested in how the city was evolving as we were growing and how the businesses would come. And so there was an opening on the Planning and Zoning Commission, and I applied. Um, I interviewed with Mayor Corey and the chair at that time, Keith Borup, and they got, got selected and appointed to the commission, and this was in mid-2000. Again, Meridian was about... 35,000 people then, so it was quite a bit smaller. And so I was on the commission for about a year and a half, and then I decided to run for city council in 2001 and was fortunate enough to get elected. Um, and I served in that capacity for three years on the city council. Back then, our council was smaller. Um, mayor Corey was the mayor then. Uh, we had four members of the city council. Now, today, we have six. Um, I did that for three years, and then the mayor at uh, the time changed to Mayor DeVeard. And she wanted to have an in-house attorney and asked me if I would consider that. So I thought about it, thought it was a career change that would be good for me and for my family. I was really connected to the city of Meridian, what we did. I've lived here my entire time. Um, I've seen it grow, as I've said, from 9,000 people. And I thought I would do that. So I took that role in 2004, and I've been here ever since in this capacity. Well, and that's quite a history. And, and now we're just going to dive into a little more history. I know okay. one of the things that you spend your time doing is serving um, as staff for the Historical Preservation Commission. So can you tell us a little bit, you, you did this a little bit in your in your time frame with living here, but what can you tell us about the overall history of Meridian? Sure. A couple of interesting facts I think that many people don't know about Meridian. Meridian actually has two founding dates. So the village of Meridian was founded in 1893. And again, this was a very much rural community, um, farmland uh, surrounded it. We were the beginnings of the dairy industry that was coming to Meridian. Um, again, mostly farmland surrounding us. And then in 1903, the city was incorporated. So we actually have two different dates that we can refer to sometimes as our start. Probably one other interesting fact that most people don't know is there's a story that's gone around for a number of years that Meridian at one time was called Hunter. And in fact, Hunter Elementary came from that. Um, story as to why they chose that as the name. The reality was Meridian actually wasn't called wasn't called Hunter. It wasn't called Meridian anything at that particular point. Hunter was actually the name of the postmaster, and the postmaster had a sign at the train depot at the station, so that the person on the train would know which mailbag do I drop at this location. 
So Hunter wasn't the name of the town. It was the name of the postmaster so they would know where the mail went. So those are two kind of early history things with Meridian that I always thought were kind of interesting and most people wouldn't know. And you talked a little bit about dairy. Um, I was over at the police department the other day, and I saw that they're coming out with some new patches that say Dairy City. Mm-hmm. Dairy City was something that was actually on our police department patches uh, way back when. So we have a long history of dairy and several other agricultural routes, uh, including some fruit farms and others throughout the years. But um, that is not the same that it is today. Yes. I mean, the, the, the creamery building was here when I moved here. It stopped functioning as a creamery. But yeah, it was the creamery. It was the location where people brought their milk and it got made into butter and, and, and separated milk here. So yeah, it was definitely a huge part of our history. So it doesn't surprise me that Dairy City would be one. And what stands in the creamery's place now? City Hall. City Hall. So let's with that, let's just dive right into some questions about the okay. city. Um, so in the state of Idaho, you have a couple different ways that you can be set up to function. Um, Meridian actually has a strong form of mayor, but what's the difference between some of the other types of government uh, that we could have or that exists in this in the state from city managers or a full council with the mayor form? Well, what do you what can you tell us about that? Sure, there are three. There are actually now two cities left in Idaho that run through a city manager form of government. So a city manager is a method that can be uh, chosen by the voters. And the manager then is an employee of the city, and the manager is actually in charge of the day-to-day CEO operations of the city. So the city of Twin Falls and the city of McCall run through a city manager. When you have that type of system, the city council and mayor are one unit, and one member of the council will serve as the mayor for a period of time determined by the council. It's usually a one- or two-year term. And so they elect a five-member council. One of them serves as the mayor, the rest serve as council members. So that's a method those two cities have chosen to have. Lewiston was the one of the last ones that had a city manager, and they've actually converted now to the strong mayor. So there's a little over 200 cities in the state of Idaho, or right around that number. So all of them but two function as a strong mayor. So that is an elected mayor, separate and apart from the city council. City councils can be either four or six members, depending on how they want to choose to set that up. They can grow from four to six. They can shrink from six to four. They can't have less than four, and they can't have more than six. But the, the cities that operate that way, many of them are still very small. Um, as you can imagine, in our state, the population drops off after the larger cities pretty quickly. So some small cities have adopted somewhat of a, a hybrid that's certainly allowed by statute where they may hire a city administrator of some sort that manages the day-to-day operations of the city because most of the other functions, the mayor and the council members, are all part-time. In Meridian, our council members are part-time, but the mayor is a full-time position and, and is, is treated accordingly. But other, many other cities that are really small, either the city clerk kind of functions as a de facto administrator or they actually have a person who's hired as that role, and then they oversee all of the operations of the city. Yeah. Now, I definitely know what I do. But I'm going to ask you to explain, you know, especially when it comes to code, uh, from state code, about what is the role and purpose of a mayor in a strong form of government? So I think first and foremost, the mayor is the leader. The mayor is the person that gives the direction for the city, helps lead and guide the city, all the various departments, all the various employees, all the various direction that the city goes. That's, that's the number one priority to me for the mayor. On a day-to-day basis, though, again, the mayor is in charge of all of the employees, all of the work that's done. The mayor is an integral part of the 
what the city does on a daily basis. The, the mayor is responsible for the enforcement of all of our laws, all of our ordinances. The mayor is responsible for enforcement of all of our policies and all of our direction in the city. So ultimately, the buck stops with the mayor. And, and the mayor is the person that they look to for that guidance, that direction, and that clarity of purpose of what we do as a city. Um, I don't know if that answers your question completely. I, I, I think that does. Um, okay. and, and maybe some of it will come out in, in, as we transition to talk a little bit about the council, mm-hmm. which you have the pleasure of serving on time. But uh, what is their role and responsibility? And I think maybe the, the answer is what does the mayor do? It's like, well, what, what does the council do? And the mayor is kind of responsible for everything else to a certain extent. I, I, I think that's an accurate way to put it. So the primary function of the council is to guide the budget and to guide the policy of the city. So the, and the policies as it regards to the budget. So the council does is a decision-making body for other fa- functions, but their primary role is to oversee the budget and to make sure the st- city stays in the black, the city stays solvent, the city, the city can pay for the programs and, and, and um, organization that it is. But also then the council has decision-making authority. So in land use decisions, and other decisions regarding ordinances, the council is the enforcement authority. They make the decisions on land use requests and when the city would choose to grow and when the city would choose not to grow and what types of projects that the city would like to see or not see. The, the, the council has a great deal of role in that in approving those things. And in those ones, in, in, a, in a, a maybe an ironic sense, the mayor has less of a role because the mayor's role in that primarily is it to break a tie. So if the council were to split vote, then the mayor's role is that he can break the tie. He's not obligated to. He can make them uh, work it out if he wants to, but the mayor has a role then. But up till then, the mayor doesn't have a particular role on what the council can proceed on or what they don't proceed on or what they approve or not approve. Generally, the mayor doesn't have any role in that particular part. I think that's a pretty good explanation from, my, from where I sit. So. Um, so things are changing at the city, uh, depending upon when this podcast actually drops on about mm-hmm. where we are. But we are going to be electing our city council members by district mm-hmm. come the 2023 election. Uh, can you tell us what that means and how that's looking to shape up? Okay, so back in 2020, our legislature decided, um, based on some public input, that the largest cities in the state – um, should elect their council members by districts, by boundaries like the legislature does. Other cities that are smaller and prior to that date, all cities could do elect people by either seat numbers or by um, at-large uh, positions. So you could be elected as a whole or you could be elected by a particular seat. We at Meridian had chosen seats. So all of our council members were to designated seats. Um, but they were not designated to any geographic area of the city. In 2020, our legislature decided that the largest cities in the state, the ones that were over 100,000 people, would need to move to a districting format. So they no longer had the option to do at-large or seats. They could only do districts, and they had to divide the districts up based on the population after the census was completed. So after the 2020 census, and there were delays to that because of COVID and everything else, that... Um, we finally got our final numbers and determined what our population was, and they created a, a setup in the code on how that would be done, and it would based on solely based on population and based on the precincts that were established by the county. So what we did as a city is we chose to ask the mayor to appoint a, a committee. 
Um, and the mayor chose a committee made up of other commission members from other commissions within the city. We directed them to look at the city population and not necessarily concern themselves with anything beyond that and look at boundaries that would make some sense on whether neighborhoods or main roads or whatever that was, but to really focus on the population. So that committee did their work. They had public meetings and they got feedback from the public and they created six boundaries based primarily on population with slight variations between the numbers per district. But each district is primarily covers one section of, of the community. They may go a little further north or south for certain things, covers across the freeway in certain parts, but it's trying to capture a more geographic central centric type of uh, location. So in 2023, we'll, we will have elections for three city council members um, that will be elected by districts specifically. Yes. Yeah, so in, in Idaho for cities, we have staggered elections. So a portion of the council, it gets elected in one election cycle. The other portion gets elected in the next election cycle. In 2023, our plan is to have three districts that will have elected representatives that reside within their district. Fair enough. So when you go out to dinner and you, you meet someone for the first time, they have no idea what you do or, or how you spend your time. And since you spend a fair amount of it Tuesday nights at City <laughs> Hall, how would you explain to the community or your, your dinner partner what a city council meeting is and what happens in that time frame? So city council meetings are can take a great deal of, of direction. Primarily, the functions of the city council meetings are to deal with applications before the city for growth, for development of some sort, whether it's residential, whether it's multifamily development, whether it's businesses, whether it's offices. A lot of that stuff, what we call land use um, uses, is what takes up the city council's time primarily. Now, they get other presentations about different things. They get asked different questions about certain issues periodically. But the, the primary focus of the meetings, if you've ever watched them, is to get citizen input about what's being asked, to get their feedback, to get their concerns, to get their problems with what's even being requested, and then make a decision. Try to find what makes the most sense for our community, what makes the most sense, whether it's to grow or whether it's not to grow, whether it's to grow of this nature or something else. So that's the primary focus of what happens on Tuesday nights. There's some discussions about some other things in regards to roads and some other things uh, regarding operations within the city. But the primary function they're dealing with is land uses, applications, growth, those types of concerns. Yeah, I know that's what the public sees, but one of the important things that happens is the consent agenda. Mm -hmm. what, is, what is typically on the consent agenda? So the consent agenda is usually made up of things that one everyone agrees to. They've already agreed to whatever we're doing. Um, often on there, if you look at it, it's either the, the remnants of the land use uh, um, discussions and whatever's been directed or decided, or it's contractual things that are related to purchasing things, purchasing land, purchasing large pieces of equipment, purchasing large um, infrastructure needs. It's approving those contracts as part of the consent agenda because, again, they've been budgeted, they've been discussed, they've been directed, the departments have then carried forth with what they've been asked to do. So that's that's why if you read the consent agenda and we go through it really very quickly is because, again, they've already been looked at, reviewed, discussed, budgeted, and approved. A few other things that will sometimes pop up on a city council agenda are an ordinance, a resolution, or a proclamation. What is the difference between those three items? So, yeah, I'm sure for many folks it can be a little bit confusing. So let's start with the 
the easiest one, the, the proclamations. The proclamations are primarily done by the mayor. They are to recognize a person, to recognize a situation, to recognize a group, um, to recognize a cause of some sort. Um, the mayor's office may get many requests for proclamations about a variety of different things, whether it's to recognize a championship team from a high school or whether it's to recognize an individual in the community for something they've done that's outstanding or whether it's to recognize a cause of something that's near and dear to our community. Those are proclamations by the mayor that declare that and to make sure people become aware of it and it becomes part of the record. A resolution is a little different. A resolution is approved by the city council. And that, again, is primarily involved with a resolution to direct something for the city, whether it's to direct a particular action of some sort, to direct a, a direction to another agency or another entity. Um, those are primarily resolutions or to approve people to serve on the commissions. All of the commission members uh, require approval of the city council to be appointed. Resolutions are done to make that finalized and, again, make it part of the record. Ordinances are different. Ordinances are the laws of the city. And there's two types for those who, who are interested. Some that are published in a book or online. And those are laws primarily that deal with land uses, um, trash pickup, deals with laws and crimes that are against the law in the city of Meridian to do certain things. Those are all published. All of the ordinances in regards to land use, like um, annexations into the city and approvals of those processes, all are required by statute, by Idaho statute, to be approved by ordinance. But those ordinances aren't published in a book. They are published in the record of the city council, but they're not published in a separate book by itself, like an ordinance about a, a dog off a leash or an ordinance about parking. Those are all published online and in a book. So there's just two different types of how they're treated. Um, they all have the same force and effect of law. So they are the law for the city, and they must be abided by. Gotcha. So you mentioned commissions. Um, city council can't handle every aspect of everything going on with the city. Um, so what is the role of commissions, and what commissions exist for the city of Meridian? So we have seven commissions in the city um, in varieties of different areas, and we'll talk about the individual ones in a second. The general idea of commissions is it's areas of interest for the city, whether it's the mayor or the council, to get citizen input on varieties of areas that, again, if it were all to go through the council – it may take a lot longer to accomplish things. So it allows citizen opportunity to participate, to get their voice heard, to have a, a, a strong role in what happens. So, and every one of them have different criteria to serve. Some require you must be a resident. Some require that you can be a resident of the area of impact outside of the city. Some require that you only be a, a person with expertise in a particular area of the subject matter of the commission. So they all of varieties are different, so you need to look at the particular one if you would like to serve. But the varieties we have, we have a Parks Commission that's been around for quite a long time. It's a fairly large commission. Um, our commissions can be up to nine. I think there are nine currently on the Parks Commission. And the Parks Commission, um, again, provides citizen input on every level of parks, on how their programs are, what their different functions in the parks can be, where the parks are, um, when we are going to acquire new land, and even as much as even uh, weighing in on naming the park. So the Parks Commission has a great role in, in a lot of different areas, and parks deals with parks and pathways and programs. So there's a lot of dealings with parks. 
Um, another commission we have is the Solid Waste Commission, and that one's been around for um, a number of years. And that really deals mostly with our primary sanit- um, public services sanitation contract. That's dealing with our both recycling program and the, ver- the sub-recyclings like grass or glass that we have, as well as our normal trash pickup stuff. So that commission weighs in on both the uh, rates annually. They um, talk about service and services and whether we should expand services, how um, the service industry is growing in that particular area. And so they weigh in on that. Uh, We have now a commission we've had for a few years on transportation. Transportation commission weighs in on different transportation projects that are coming or on major issues or concerns about particular areas and whether it's working with our partners in the community like ITD, um, which is the Idaho Transportation Department, or the ACHD, which is the Ada County Highway District. We work with those partners because they have the primary jurisdiction over those uh, roads, whether it's a state highway or a county road, but they work in conjunction with us. They like our opinion, and the city council and the mayor's office likes the Transportation Commission to weigh in. Again, we have industry experts on the commission, and they can have a role in that. We have in as the mayor mentioned earlier, we have the Historic Preservation Commission. What they do is they weigh in on historical um, history of Meridian and trying to create both a lot of content and material to preserve that history, as well as recognizing things that are going away and trying to make sure we capture those things before they're gone. Whether it's doing some analysis of areas or it's grabbing photographs of things before they get moved or torn down or recognizing areas that have um, a great historical significance, whether it's a historical building um, that we have on the National Register of Historic Places or it's a location that we want to recognize on that, the Historic Preservation Commission, again, weighs in on those types of things. Arts Commission is another very specialized area, uh, a commission for the city that, again, weighs in on all varieties of art um, in the city that both may be in public spaces or on other private spaces, and they actually have our art gallery in City Hall, if you've ever been to City Hall, we have a wonderful art gallery on the third floor that changes out generally on a monthly basis. Sometimes they'll stay a little bit longer if it's a bigger show. Um, Arts Commission helps with that. They help with public art pieces around the city in the park or public places. Um, some of the uh, murals you've seen, like in the downtown, they've weighed in on those and participated in that. They also have a small budget to work with, and they can help um, promote projects and help projects get get up off the ground and help artists out in the community to bring art to the city. So they weigh in heavily on that. Um, we have a smaller committee that meets periodically on impact fees, and impact fees are a real specialized area of land use. That commission deals primarily with being able to set what can the state law allow us to set a fee for and what we can charge for development so that growth can pay for itself. Right now we're allowed to charge fees to recapture costs for parks, recapture costs for police, and recapture costs for fire. So we do have the commission to help drive that conversation, to make sure it's being fair, to make sure it's the right approach for the city. And again, we're trying to make sure growth pays for itself. The, the last commission I would talk about is PNC. So the Planning and Zoning Commission is one for the city that is very involved. And again, with a growing city like Meridian over the last 25 years, Uh, They've been very integral in how the city has grown and developed. They're the first group that sees these projects that want to be annexed into the city or want to grow and develop, whether it's residential, multifamily businesses, whatever that may be. 
they're the ones that weigh in first. They give their citizens. Some have industry backgrounds. Some are just citizens that are interested in our community, and they weigh in on those projects. And most everything they see is comes forward to the city council with a recommendation to either approve it or deny it. And they maybe have recommended changes. Maybe they've recommended improvements. Um, but they're a very integral part of our growth and how we've grown over the last 25 years. Well, thank you. I, I know that they do a lot of work in your office, does a lot of work mm-hmm. uh, to help ensure that they follow the open meeting laws, uh, yes. that they do not violate uh, maybe purchasing or anything else. And so there's a lot of time and energy that goes into that. But we really value our commissions, the time that people spend. Uh, they're, they're dedicated to these issues. And, you know, it's wonderful when we have the community reach out and get involved. And one way they can do that, they, I know they can go online to our commissions and they can submit an application at any point in time. But we open these up every time a, a seat becomes vacant, either because of the end of a term or because someone stepped down, steps down. So it's a great way to get involved if someone's wanting to take their first step into uh, giving back to the community through public service in a volunteer capacity that has limited expectations. Yeah, I, I would totally agree. I think it is a great way to be involved and that be a participant in what happens and, and, and have a role in the city. I, I do think it's a great opportunity for people. And, and again, it is volunteers. These people are very dedicated. Many of the times their meetings, at least for planning and zoning or parks, can go into the evening hours. So we do truly appreciate all the time and effort they put in. Thank you. Well, one of the things we really appreciate is the all the time and hours that you and your team put in, especially at city council meetings. So I'm, you're there every Tuesday night for city council. Maybe you take one off when uh, when you got to travel or something comes up. But um, tell us about how do you see your role different today as a city attorney as compared when you were an attorney elected to serve in city council? I think they both have certain fiduciary responsibilities that were probably in your head mm-hmm. in certain roles. But talk to us a little bit about how you see that role being different or compare it from back at that time. Well, definitely different when I was serving as both either the, on the Planning and Zoning Commission or on the City Council. My legal opinion is not the city's opinion. My legal opinion is mine. And I, ha- I had to respect that the city attorney who was ever staffing the meeting, that their role and their legal opinion is what the city needed to follow, that it was not up to me to provide that legal advice, nor was it appropriate for me to provide that type of advice. I was there as a citizen. I wasn't there as a lawyer. I wasn't there as a lawyer for the city or for anybody but myself. So I really try to treat it like I'm a citizen here. This is not this is not a legal issue. If it's a legal issue, you need to ask the attorney, not me. Now in my role as the attorney, my role is completely different. My responsibility is to the city. And, and one of the things I've said, and I know this is kind of hard for some people to understand, is that the city attorney or any of the attorneys that staff our meetings our role is to look out for the best interests of the city. Our role is not to be the mayor's representative or the city council. Our role is to look out for whatever the best interest of the city is and whatever the city ordinances require or the state law requires, whether it's an open meeting issue, whether it's a land use issue, whether it's a decision-making issue. We want to make sure that we're following the law for the best interest of the city. So that's my role now. So now my role is different um, than being a member because I really have to interject when it's going to impact the city negatively, not me personally. I think that's a, a good explanation. Um, so while you are able to interject, uh, especially on Tuesday night from city council, but generally how, how is your office in the city protected from losses and what happens if the city gets sued? 
So the city has insurance, like most people do. We have insurance that covers our buildings, covers our people, covers all of our equipment, covers all of the things that we do. So we have a we have a a, a very large scale insurance uh, coverage for all of these things. You can imagine we have a number of police cars, we have a number of fire engines, we have a two hundred million dollar treatment plant of facilities out there. So we have a lot of infrastructure, we have a lot of pipes in the ground, we have a lot of things that require some level of insurance for damages. So when things do get damaged, we work with our insurer. And if, if the damage is not caused by us, but caused by somebody else, we'll work with their insurance. Hopefully they have it. And we'll work with their insurance to make sure that the city is repaid, that the public is repaid for the asset that was damaged or lost because of it. And if any actions we take that harm somebody or somebody thinks they harm them, we have ways to address that. We look at those types of claims. We take those very seriously. Again, we're the city. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing all the time. Okay. And what, what happens if we get sued? So if we get sued, so it has to come through what's called a tort claim. So one of the things you have to do for the government, if you want to sue them, whether it's us or any other level of government in Idaho, you have to file a claim. And it's a form, and it's online. It doesn't have to be on that form. It could be in a letter. It can be something else. There's a method on which how you have to go about doing that. And once you've done that, You've given us notice. And so the purpose of that is to tell us, you did something wrong to me, whatever that may be. And that gives us an opportunity to investigate, determine if that's true or not, if we are at fault or not, if we have done something or not. It gives us time to deal with that claim and address it. If we don't believe that it was our fault, we will tell you. We don't believe it's our fault or we don't believe we caused that. Um, if we do believe it is, then we will address that too, and we'll try to make amends and get that right and take, get it taken care of. But we really address them on an individual basis. So I always encourage folks, if you think something's happened that's happened to you and harmed you in some way, tell us. We'll look into it. We will take it seriously. We don't ignore any of them. Thank you. Now, you've got a pretty small office, but we also contract for some services with some of our other government partners. Tell us about how and what we do contract for. Well, one of the one of our probably our longest contract we have for legal services is with our prosecution. So when you have a police department, um, like we do in Meridian, you have crimes that get done that are misdemeanors and felonies. So misdemeanors are smaller crimes, felonies are the more serious crimes, murders, the kidnappings, rapes, those types of things. So and certain crimes like a first time DUI is a misdemeanor. Certain types of car accidents are a misdemeanor. Uh, bar fights, a battery like that, that's a misdemeanor. So all of those need prosecution. So you either have to pay somebody to do it, as I was the contracted prosecutor back in the mid-'80s, or you can contract with somebody else to do it. So we have contracted with the city of Boise since 2002, and the city of Boise does all of our misdemeanor prosecution work. So they deal directly with the courts. They are sending prosecutors to the court every single day. They communicate directly with our police department over any issues or concerns they have of enforcement. And so they address all criminal cases. So we do get calls periodically um, from citizens who have received a citation, whether it's a speeding ticket or a DUI, and wanting to talk to the prosecutor. We refer them down to the city of Boise. They are, again, full-time prosecutors. That's what they do every day. To expand into doing that for us would be expensive and time-consuming. It would be certainly something we may do at some point in the future. At this point, it's been more practical and economical to contract for that. Yeah, and they, they 
have provided a great service to us all at a cost yes. that would be hard for us to replace. And that's why we make those decisions. We, we look at what would be the cost for us to do it ourselves versus having someone else who's, who's there, who's got the infrastructure already in place to provide those services. And there may be a point in time where it is on us yes. to provide that service. Um, but luckily, not today, not this year. Yes. Uh, so one of the services you already talked about that we uh, have from a partner, they're not government, they're a private sector partner, but Republic Services uh, hauls our recycling and trash and does several programs here for us related to those. Uh, we contract with them through a franchise agreement. Explain what that is and how that works. So what a franchise agreement is, it's a little different than simply a contract or a service like we have for the prosecution. You've actually given an exclusivity to a business to operate within your city to the exclusion of other businesses that do the same thing. So our Republic Services has a contract with the city they've had since 2012 that they've actually inherited from another company that basically merged with Republic in 2012 um, called uh, Sanitary Services. And they um, have had the city's contract for more than 25 years to provide trash services. So we've had one company that evolved into a second company, which is now Republic. So a franchise says you are the only one that get to do a certain types of things like hauling trash. So all trash has to go through Republic on whether it's the can service that you get on a weekly basis at your curb, whether it's um, a larger type for a roll off for say a construction site or a building site or something like that. All of that has to be coordinated with Republic. They have the exclusive right to do that to the exclusion of other businesses. It's worked very well for the city from a cost standpoint. And again, as the mayor stated earlier, infrastructure is a huge part of that business. It's a very expensive business to get into. Um, the equipment and the uh, trucks and everything else that goes with it is very expensive. So having a company that has that ability to do that and to actually have that um, makes it a much cheaper, more affordable service for us and our citizens than it would be to try to do that ourselves. Because, again, there's a huge cost to all that. But the trade-off to that is you give that exclusivity in a franchise so that they have the desire and means to want to invest that amount of money into putting that services together. If they had to do this on an annual or every other year basis or even a five-year basis, there would be less interest in wanting to do that because it's too expensive. Agreed. Um, another service that we contract negotiate, this one's a little different, but it's, uh, we have a labor agreement uh, with the fire department employees. Mm -hmm. uh, what is the value and benefit of this process as you see it? So state of Idaho, the legislature has determined that there are two recognized work groups in the state that are allowed to create a union, and that's teachers and firefighters. And we are required by law, if they choose to form a union, to recognize them. So that's a, a legal requirement that we follow. Um, and when you do then have a union and you um, recognize them, you then must negotiate over a period of time, whatever that is, and you can determine that between the city and the union, one-year, two-year, three-year, five-year contracts. And those contracts determine everything. And ours, for example, determines both what, what they get paid, how promotions occur, how new positions come on board, what different ranks they have, what types of services we provide, whether it's how many people are on engines, the paramedic services that we provide from our fire engines, all of those things are all encompassed in our contract. So we have a contract currently that's a three-year contract. 
Um, it expires next year in 2023. So we'll be looking to renegotiate a new one after that. So it, it, it's not like, you know, it's not like an old movie or TV. It's not really people pounding their fists on the table much and those kinds of things, but it is a negotiation. I mean, there is a, a give and take on both sides on what you can do, will do, what you'll pay for, what, what's comparable, what are benefits. All of those things are negotiated with the union, whether it's with their attorney or a negotiator or the negotiating team. And the city has a team as well. And how many years have you been on that team or leading that team? Um, 18. Okay. And how many times have you gone through the process? I think the current contract is the 10th contract I've done since I've been here. Well, God bless you. That's what I'm <laughs> going to say for, on that one. All right. So we're, we're, we're here at the end and we're running out of time. So we're going to do a lightning round on a few questions. Uh, and these are questions that we've, we hear from the community often over the years. So what is the law for snow removal? So the city code requires that snow, if, uh, snow removal on sidewalks is done by the adjacent property owner. So whether it's a business or residence, it is the responsibility of the property owner to get the snow removed within a reasonable period of time. We are really fortunate in, in our community that our, barring a really severe snowfall, it tends to dissipate pretty quickly. But it is the property owner's responsibility. All right. What about parking RVs? So if you have an RV... Uh, if you want to park it on a, on a public road, you have a 72-hour time limit. So you must move it every three days. If you want to park it on public property, like in our park, um, say for an event or something like that, um, you have a two-hour time limit. So it's very, very limited for you to park there. If you want to park on residential property, it has to be completely in your driveway. It can't block the sidewalk. It can't obstruct or hang over the sidewalk. So it can be completely in your driveway, or it can be on your side yard as long as you have some screen for it of some sort um, but the key factor in this is, and this is probably where we get calls, you can't live in it on your property. You can only live in it in a RV park or a trailer park, but you can't live in it in your backyard. So that's generally the calls my office gets is, can I live in that? And the answer is no. And also, depending upon what homeowner association rules are, they also may have some, certain stipulations about uh, where you can park RVs on your property or not. Absolutely. And, and probably a, a fact that probably most people that have RVs know, but maybe new people to our community don't know, is we have a free RV dump at our treatment plant. So you have a free service that's available to you um, to go and, and do that there. So that way, again, avoids any sanitation issues, but that's a free service provided by the city. All right. What about blocking mailboxes and driveways? So we do have a city law that prohibits parking within 10 feet of a mailbox during Monday through, Sat Monday through Saturday. So it doesn't apply on Sundays and it doesn't apply on holidays, but it applies every other day. So you're not supposed to park within 10 feet of someone's mailbox. Most people are courteous enough to move if you ask them to, and most people don't park in front of mailboxes, but it does happen occasionally. But there is a city code for that. Driveways, absolutely, you are prohibited from parking in front of a driveway. Um, again, I think most people are courteous enough to move, but I recognize that it does happen all the time. But, yeah, it is against the law to block someone's driveway. Well, well, Bill, uh, I want to say thanks for joining us on this episode. You've given us a general overview of the city of Meridian and the various legal aspects that you and your team do for our community. So thank you uh, for your lifetime of public service in, in reality and what you continue to give back every day and Tuesday night and to your family and, and that of your employees. Um, I also want to say thank you to the Meridian Library for the use of the Unbound Recording Studio here in downtown Meridian. And thank you for the listeners for tuning in. I'll catch you next time on My Meridian. 